I've got a million dollars It's hypothetical Large amount in my bank account It's parenthetical The money I'm made of is theoretical So in theory I've got it good My fat wallet is on a diet My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent But let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time It was microscopical But don't you get it I am no fool I own a bank I call him Piggy, brought home the bacon, he got a little wiggy, cracked him open, what a pity, his inner life was pitiful, I need checks, I need balances, life's a mess, with financial challenges, checks and balances, when things get tough, do you do it for money, or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on triple coupons Soup kitchen's calling, saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun checks I need balances life's a mess with financial challenges checks and balances when things get tough do you do it for money or do you do it for love has a headache trying to get something for free none more wiser is the miser always lives in misery i own a bank i call him piggy brought home the bacon he got a little wiggy cracked him open what a pity his inner life was pitiful i need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Whiskey Bob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we have been listening to Checks and Balances from the Future Hits of the Early Years by Burke and Graffia. And he is on the phone with me right now. He's a former New Orleans 
or New Orleans, however you like to pronounce it, resident now living in the D.C. area, and so good to have you on the phone. Hi, Todd. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am well. Now, first of all, how long did you live in New Orleans? Well, I grew up there. You did? Uh, so I, yeah, I grew up there in the 70s and 80s um, and lived most of my life there, actually. I've, I've been in the D.C. area for about three years. Uh, I've lived several other places. I, I lived um, for a little while in um, lower Alabama. I lived a little while in Austin, Texas, and here and there for different reasons. But I've lived most of my life in New Orleans. Now, what got you to move to the D.C. area? Well, I have family here. Uh, my sister and uh, and my my sister's here in Arlington, and my brother's in Philadelphia. So I just needed a change. I just needed to just a change of scenery and kind of just uh, yeah, just a change. And so I came up here, and it is quite a change. But it's uh, it's I'm glad I'm here. It's a it's a nice place to be. Well, it's a little colder in the winter time here. It's a little colder at the end of May. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I can't believe how chilly it is today. Yeah, I was supposed to, or I'm scheduled to perform outdoors the, later this afternoon, and the, the, the producer sent me a text, and she said, you know, it's up to you, but it's pretty chilly outside, and I don't like to yeah. be cold, so I think it's a bust. <laughs> yeah. So, now, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely not cold there right now in New Orleans, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's quite all right. You have a delightful sound, and... And I may not be 100% accurate in the way other people describe your sound, but I look at it as a marriage between Ella Fitzgerald and Todd Rundgren. And what it is I've is... I've never heard that, ever. <laughs> well, I mean, you have that kind of jazzy Ella Fitzgerald kind of delivery, but you do it, and your vocal sound is more of a, what I call a Todd Rundgren, or more of a pop kind of a vocal with jazz influence heavily, for sure. And it is just yeah. a wonderful sound. I mean, I think so. Every time I play one of your songs, and I did it when you performed at Brewer's Alley, and I guess that was, what, two and a half years ago or so, is involuntarily my foot starts to tap. Partly oh, because you. you have, a, you know, you all, all of your songs have a nice groove to them, but it's a very subtle, laid back, and that soft jazz kind of popish. Um, and then your vocal delivery is very laid back, but with purpose and very well, pleasant you. to listen to. So how did you come about forming that sound? Well, I would say that um, it's interesting because I am from New Orleans and I grew up there, but my, my original musical interests were more along the lines of 70s folk rock, like James Taylor and Jim Croce and Paul Simon and, and, and that type of music, Cat Stevens. So when I was when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I did a lot of music that was along those lines. Um, I I would do a lot of cover cover tunes of those folk pop songs or pop folk, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, and then in my 20s, uh, I I discovered or yeah, I guess discovered for the first time that I really liked jazz. Um, I started listening to it, and there's a certain logic to the the music, there's a certain feel that I really liked. Um, and it's, it's two different approaches to music. Um, the, the folky stuff is very lyric heavy and the, and the, the chords are, you're, you're playing a lot of regular major and minor chords. So there is some movement from chord to chord, but, but with jazz, 
um, it's a little bit more uh, where you, you're dealing with more of a dominant scale. You're dealing more with dominant seventh chords. And um, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little too technical for your audience, uh, but no, this uh, is perfect. Okay, it's uh, it's basically the music moves a little bit where there's not a there's not as much rest or or uh, stationary feel to blues and jazz. It's jazz is always moving, and so jazz actually lends itself. I I think because of that, because it's always moving and it isn't very stationary musically, uh, I think it lends itself to humor very well um, in a way that that folk music can but but jazz because of the musical structures themselves um and a, a lot of times because of the lack of resolution in some of the, the chords i think it lends itself to humor now did you end up studying jazz or did you just kind of absorb it as you grew i i did study it uh i was actually uh, i went to the university of new orleans for about two years and they had a really good jazz program with ellis marcellus heading it up and a, and a, a really wonderful teacher named Harold Baptiste. Um, and then I took lessons from uh, two guitarists down in New Orleans, one named Hank Mackey and another named Steve Mazikowski, who um, taught me a lot. I mean, I was, I was a very poor guitarist, very poor guitar student at that time. Um, but I did learn quite a bit of, of theory and understood a, a lot more about um, the way that the way that jazz works, the the way that one chord moves to another, the way you can turn chords upside down, what we call inversions, and uh, but still all that time, my main focus was lyric writing. So um, all this time, uh, as I as my musical style maybe grew or changed, uh, my my lyric writing continued to really continue in the in the same direction, which always was. Um, writing, writing things to make people, um, uh, writing, writing things in a way that I, I, I hoped were thoughtful and hopeful and, and made people think a little bit. Well, you, your wordplay on checks and balances is wonderful. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that was just, um, that, that song turned out really really well and i and it's uh it's really uh it's it's i think it's on all of my streaming media like spotify and all those stations all those uh websites i think that's probably my most streamed song so i'm i'm really happy about that now when did you write that one oh i must have written that one probably around 2010 around that time okay because you're on the on the uh, the, the dates on the back of Future hits of the early years, and that's a very cool title, by the way. <laughs> it says 2001 to 2011, and then 2019. I would imagine that 2019 was when you released it. That's right. And so, um, what I did is I had I had some older albums, and um, and I had run out of them all, and I I needed something to sell at shows. Uh, people were asking for CDs, and so instead of instead of making uh, copies of all of my CDs. I took all of my favorite songs off of three prior CDs and I put them all on one CD and I gave it that kind of kitschy name, uh, future hits of the early years. But that song was originally on a record that I called jazz animals, uh, that I did in new Orleans in 2011. Well, you've got some neat titles to your songs. I mean, 
It starts off with one called Undercover, then Checks and Balances, then The Frame Maker, then Woodpecker's Song. And then you've got one Lazy Bones, Dumb It Down, Sweet and Sour. And it's interesting, The I can almost, and I've listened to all of them, I don't remember which one sounded which way, of course, because I've, I've focused in on my favorites, which are the three that I, I, I downloaded for the show. Okay. But the um, I can almost imagine some of them like Lazy Bones or Woodpecker's song and what they might be about without remembering, you know, for sure. Right, right. Do, do you pick your titles based on the content of the song after it's completed or do you start off with well i'm going to call this song this and you write from the title well i think it's different per song and i think lately um lately in the past couple years the things that i have written it usually um i'll i come up with ideas as i as i go through life and i i keep a little used to be on the back of bar napkins and matchbooks and that kind of thing. But now it's all, all on my phone. And what I do is I, I just, if I, if I hear something that sounds like a, there's a double entendre or there's just some interesting wordplay there, or maybe there's um, some way that somebody uses a phrase that I, I'm unfamiliar with, I'll, I'll jot it down. And then when I kind of sit down and I, I start to um, write a, write a song, I'll go through those old notes and I'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that line. And then I'll, maybe I'll start building a song around that word or phrase. And oftentimes that becomes the title. So generally uh, the title uh, becomes the main idea of the song. Um, and then you want to kind of keep them short and brief, too. So maybe if the hook of the song is is two phrases long, maybe you just take the real the real hook of that of those two phrases and and you make a title out of it well they're they're intriguing for someone who's just say walking around and you were part of maybe like a crafts fair and you had a table where you had your cds out and you're selling your t-shirts things like that but you had to leave to grab a drink or something like that and people walk up and they take a look and here's these cds and they look at this future hits of the early years. Gosh, it just has a name and that. Turn it over. <laughs> I would imagine they would be interested just based on the titles. Well, I would hope so. Uh, that that was, you know, that would be wonderful. Uh, you know, it's been so long since I played out. I can't even, <laughs> I can't remember that. But <laughs> I, I do have some some gigs lined up in the fall, so I'm I'm really excited about that. But um, but yeah, I. Uh, the, the the title writing uh, I think I think the title is is kind of important uh, as far as uh, to remember the song and to uh, to encapsulate a little bit of the song uh, in just that that one short title. Now you mentioned that you have some gigs coming up in the fall, but you hadn't played out in a long time. What yes. did you have you done during this time of our COVID nineteen pandemic musically? Well. Well, it's interesting. I put out a new record uh, in March of last year, and it came out two weeks before all of the, the lockdown happened. And it seems to me, and I'll, I'll give you a little back history, it seems to me that that's been a pattern in when I put out records in my life. Um, I put out, I put out, I made an EP a long time ago. I, I put out an EP, and I got them back from the from the printer on September 10th, 2001. 
And so the next day, nobody really cared. Uh, it was 9-11, and nobody really cared about my music. <laughs> they, had a lot more, they had a lot more on their mind. Um, then I put out, uh, I, I created a really beautiful CD called Independence Louisiana, uh, produced it in New Orleans, and and uh, and it got some nice critical praise. And two months after I created that, Hurricane Katrina came, and and it was really hard to to for any to get anybody's interest in in New Orleans into music because there was a lot more going on than just my silly CD. And then I put out this CD, and and then two weeks later the pandemic begins. And so I, there's just been this pattern of, of building up all this momentum of writing songs and putting all this effort into CDs and really trying to push my musical career along. And and it seems like uh, the world has other plans for me. But so anyway, so I, I did put out this CD um, a couple of weeks before the pandemic started, and I was going to put out one song at a time. Uh, but then I decided that I would just... Um, uh, I would uh, just release the whole thing in in May, so I did that, and I was I've been trying to um, you know market the market the CD and, and put it out there, but but other than that, and that's just the business side of it, but the musical side of it, I've been actually been working on a lot of different things. I've I've gotten into uh, composing using some computer software uh, that uh, has drums and and bass, and normally what I would do is I would just compose with a, with a guitar and a pencil and a piece of paper but um i've i've discovered that there are some uh, ways to write music where you start with some of the the rhythms of the the drums and the bass and some other instruments that i don't know how to play and i can compose on the computer so i've been doing a little bit of that uh and then in the past three months i have been uh, working with a another uh, guitarist jazz guitarist and he and i are putting together a live duo act like a jazz guitar act and then also i've been working on a lot of my my guitar playing a lot of the lead playing in my music uh, as i mentioned before we went on um, a lot of the lead player playing is not me a lot of that is other guitarists who i've befriended through the years and who have um, uh, graciously come and played on my records and so I am at a point where I would really like to be able to uh, to play the lead parts and play uh, more of the the melody melody lines of the music, um, and not just be the singer and rhythm guitar player. So I've been working on my guitar playing quite a bit, and that's been very satisfying. Now, when you say working on on playing leads, is that for recording purposes or for when you're performing live, so that you're when you're singing, you're doing kind of the rhythm. And then when normally when a um, you'd have another guitarist come in and play some lead stuff, you would take over. Um, yeah. So so when I'm playing live, um, sometimes I play solo. And if I'm playing solo, um, I usually do a lot more of my uh, my folkier uh, my folkier music, my my more lyric heavy music, um, where I. I'll do a solo act where maybe there's a stage and and chairs that are facing the stage and people are there. Uh, they've bought a ticket and they come in and they really want to listen. And I'll do those the solo shows, and this and the songs end up being a, a little bit shorter in length. Um, and I'll just basically run through the the songs as if they were just a, a folk song. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing solo. And sometimes I'll, I'll accompany myself with harmonica too. Um, getting back into that too. 
but a lot of times when I'm playing, let's say, a, a, a winery or, or a restaurant or I'm playing an outdoor festival or something, and there's more going on than just the music, uh, I'll oftentimes play with another guitarist or another musician or two. And so what I'll usually do is I will um, uh, I will sing the song uh, in, in jazz it's generally people call it the head of the song or um, just the, the form of the song. I'll go through it. And then, uh, and then you repeat the form and then people solo over the, over the, the chord structure. And then you come back in at the end and you sing the song and it turns a three minute song into a seven minute song. And so um, what I'll usually do is I'll have another person uh, come and play uh, the lead parts over my, my rhythm um, where I'm not singing, uh, for the second half of the song. So, um, so yeah, so right now I am working on the guitar playing so I can still play with other people, which I really enjoy, uh, but I can maybe contribute a little bit more to the, the, the music part of it, the, the soloing part and the improvisation part. Kind of trade off leads maybe. That's right. That's yeah, right. because you do have a photo when you're, you're on your website, burkengrafia.com for folks who are, are listening and that's b u r k e i n g r a f f i a dot com. On the right, next to your um, your photo, um, and it's the cover basically of your Waves CD that came out in March twenty seventh last this past year. You've got the um, the background behind the making of it, and one of the photos is you playing at the Four Seasons in Georgetown back in two thousand eighteen with Tom Lagana. That's right. And I would assume that that's very, just what you were talking about. You would do the head of the song and so forth, and then you do it around the second time, and he just kind of do fills behind you or maybe do a lead part, and you'd back off on the, the singing. That's right. Tom. Tom's a great musician, and uh, that's the only time we've actually been able to, to play with one another. He was able to, to, to play that uh, gig with me a couple years ago, New Year's Eve. And um, and I sent him some charts beforehand and some some recordings. And then I, I brought my charts in with me and he uh, he read that gig. He read the, the charts for for most of it and, and used his ears. And uh, yeah, and he's fantastic. He's he's a he's a real improviser and a, and a guitarist guitarist. So. It, it looks like he's playing a Heritage um, 335 Gibson copy, or, you know, the Heritage was, was some of the folks from the Montana factory that took over when Gibson moved, but that's what that looks like. And you're playing what in that photo? It's an arch top with a tailpiece, and it looks like it's a, a... It's a Godin. Oh, I was going to ask you if it was a Godin, yeah. Yeah, it's a Godin Fifth Avenue Jazz. Um, and it's funny, I was just, I'm looking at that guitar right now as we speak, and and I, uh, I've actually uh, took, I've taken the the humbucker off of it. It's actually a floating humbucker that attaches to the neck instead of the body of the guitar. And uh, and I've I've never liked the sound of it. I mean, it's been okay, but I've always had to tweak it. And I finally, I, I've sent it to a, a, a custom pickup maker who's going to take all the magnets out of the casing and and create something for me, a custom sound, a custom. Uh, custom coiled pickup for me for that guitar. And I, I can't wait. It should be here next week. Now the Godin's fifth avenues that I have heard in that their arch top line tend to sound a little harsh to me. Is that why you wanted to, to change pickups? Well, they have a, they have a different line. They have a full line of guitars called fifth Avenue that aren't really all the same guitar. They, they kind of look the same, but a lot of those uh, fifth Avenue guitars um 
have what are called uh, P90 pickups in them. Yes, mm-hmm. which are which are single coil pickups that um, that have more of a uh, like a more of a vintage sound. Some people really prefer them. Uh, I think they sound good on, on some guitars. But this guitar is a little bit different. It's it's constructed a little differently, and the the pickup is actually a, a humbucker that is attached to the neck, and everything on the guitar is floating. The bridge is floating. The tailpiece is floating. The pick guard, and what that means is that nothing is there. There's nothing cut into the body of the guitar, so it resonates like an acoustic guitar. But it, uh, I've got flat wound strings on it, and it's got a humbucker pickup, so it's. It's a it's an electric guitar, but it, it really resonates like an acoustic, and I, I just um, I really like it. And the the thing about the fretboard, it's a really flat fretboard for anybody that knows what what fretboard radiuses are. It's a it's a sixteen, which means it's very very flat, um, which means it's really comfortable when you're doing soloing. But if you were doing some you know chankity chankity funky rhythms, it might get, hurt your hand after a while. Right. Yeah, that's confusing for many guitar players when they talk about a 12-inch radius or a 16 as to which is the curvier of the two or flatter, whichever way you want to look at it. And the the lower number is the has more curve to it or more arch to it, I guess is the best way to put it, right? That's right. And if you if you play like a really old, old Telecaster or really old guitar, it might even be like a 7.5, which is tiny. You know, it's very, very round. But I think like the tellies and the and strats now are generally around like nine and a half, uh-huh. and and then twelve is kind of a happy medium for some people, and then but this is very flat. This is a sixteen, which is it's nice for soloing, um, and then some guitars like I have a Collings acoustic guitar which I which I love, and it has a, a compound uh, fretboard radius, which means that it's flatter, it's flatter by the body. So if you're playing, if you're picking. Uh, down by the body, you you, you can um, you can bend notes a little bit better, but down by the head of the guitar, it's a little bit rounder, which is a really nice feature on that guitar. Now, do you find that, and, and do you play with capos at, at all? I do, I do. I play with capos not on my electric, but I uh, when I'm on my acoustic, and uh, you know, and and the, and the song really calls for an open G chord, but it's in a different key, right? You know, or or my voice can't play that low um i will definitely capo now do you find that it is somewhat problematic because it depends on the capo like i love i use a partial shove because i love mm-hmm. being able to to make alternate tunings without retuning the guitar so yeah. it's, it, i use it quite a bit especially in my my originals their original shove and i've got about six of them has a little bit of a hump um, where the fourth and fifth string would be on the guitar. And I find that in many of my guitars, in order to use that shove capo, I have to crank that thing as tight as I can, or it'll buzz on those strings. And so I have a myriad of capos. Some work better <laughs> on this guitar, some work better on that. And sometimes when they're in a pile on my coffee table, I forget which one goes which, and I put it on, I'm going, why am I getting a buzz here? Now, do you have problems <laughs> with that, or what capos do you use? Uh, I like you. I've tr- I've tried them all out. Um, I have I do have one of those little shub um, partial capos where you can get sort of a, an open tuning uh, with the guitar. I have another one that only goes over strings five through one, so uh, it's got an automatic drop D on it. Um, more or less, it, you have to play some other chords differently. But so I've got that. And then I, I had a guitar for a little while that I. Uh, that I got rid of, but I still have the, the capo 
And it was one of those, um, I don't, I forget who makes it, but it basically just stays on your guitar all the time. And when you don't use it, you just push it down to the, the, uh, the nut mm-hmm. and, and you can just kind of keep it on your guitar. It doesn't work on some necks, uh, that are, that are a little more pointing down by the neck, right. by the nut. But, uh, but sometimes those capos are really nice because they're just always on the guitar, and if you need them, they're right there. But uh, but I like the shubs. The shubs are good because they lock pretty well, and you can tighten them per guitar, which is really nice. Uh, I have another one. Uh, I think Diodario makes it, and it's not really super strong, but it's really convenient, and it's really easy to use. So I'll use that one sometimes on a, on a smaller uh, guitar that I have. Now, in most of your compositions... Are you playing the guitar in standard pitch, or do you use altered tunings or tune down, or what's your go-to tuning? Uh, I use standard tuning for most things. Um, I uh, I started playing around a little bit with with alternate tunings, and they sound so nice. Um, you know, you have dad gad tuning, and then you've got like open G tuning, and um, I do have the only thing that I actually do differently now, but w- what I should say is I, I don't really use those tunings so much. I, I use uh, I use standard tunings. But one thing that I do do is on one of my guitars, um, my voice, I'm I'm I just turned 51 and my voice has actually I, I know my voice sounds high. I'm talking right now and I, I get called ma'am on the phone all the time. But, <laughs> it used but, to happen to me all the time, too. But as I've gotten older, it's dropped. So I yeah. Yeah. And so I. I, uh, my voice has actually gotten lower and the, and the sweet spot for my voice has gotten lower. So, but I have all these songs that I wrote in my twenties that are still good songs and I, and I want to continue playing them and I don't want to learn new fingerings for them. And a lot of them were, let's say open chords, open G, open D, open a minor. That's that sort of thing. So what I've done with one of my guitars is, um, I have, put heavy heavy strings on it and i've tuned it down to c sharp instead of e Mm -hmm. so it's like halfway between a guitar and a baritone and what i do is if i if i work if i'm singing an old song that i used to be able to hit high notes on comfortably and i can't anymore i will just um i'll just take that use that guitar and i will um i'll just play the same open g chord but now it's a d chord instead of a instead of a G. Is that right? No, now it's an E chord instead of a G. Well, you know, you're one of the few people, because I do that, my voice has dropped quite a bit. And even before it dropped, for whatever reason, I've, I've always, I was always a tenor and I'm, I've come down a little bit now, obviously, as I've gotten into my seventies, but the, I started tuning a half step down probably 20 years ago. It just felt more comfortable to me. And yeah. then about seven years ago, I, I tuned a full step down, but I do have a baritone guitar that I tune, of course, what would be one and a half steps down to C sharp, because on some songs, like some Neil Young songs, if I'm doing covers, I can't hit his high notes, right. which he probably can't to the, in today's world either, but <laughs> it's much more comfortable at that, that C sharp. Um, yeah. And so, but I've tried to get other performers who just, you know, they end up screeching on some of their songs because their voice is lowered. And I said, just tune your guitar down. Oh man, I can't do that. It was like, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if you, if you have to, if you only have the one guitar, you just capo it at the third fret if you need to go back to normal. That's correct. 
Yeah, so it's it, it works out. Now, if you're if you're trying to do leads up on the neck and you don't have a cutaway and you you have it that way, that makes makes playing high up on the neck more difficult. But if you're if you're playing chords that basically don't go past the ninth fret, you're fine. Now, did you discover that all on your own about l- lowered tunings, or is that something that somebody you were having difficulty and you were ch- chatting with somebody and they said, "Gosh, why don't you try this?" Well, I had a baritone guitar for a little while, and um, and it was okay, um, and I but that was actually you know that's tuned down to a B right. instead of an E, and so I used that for a little while, but it was kind of a cheap guitar and it, and it had sort of a plasticky sound to it, and I thought you know I like this thing and I I can use it, but but I'm capoing it on the second fret most of the time anyway, so maybe I could just split the difference and use one of my guitars, uh, for that purpose. And I, I, I looked online, I found a, a couple of people, um, some people I saw that were in Nashville doing that tuning and, and, uh, I thought I'd give it a try and I, I, I really like it. Um, and it actually, the, the thing about it is, is it takes some of the, te- even though they're heavy strings, I mean, they're like telephone po- you know, cables. They're, they're really, really heavy strings. I think if, for people that know strings, the bottom strings of 14, um, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's so they're really thick. But the fact that it's tuned in down to a C sharp, um, there's still a lot of play in the strings. And so it's actually kind of fun to play some bluesy stuff with that tuning because uh, it's really kind of gritty and the strings bend really easily, even though they're super heavy strings. So it's kind of fun. Now, in standard pitch. Let's say your what is your preferred chord structure or chord formation for your vocal range? Oh, so like what what key do I usually write in? Uh, I've been writing a lot. Like if I were if I were just to go to some open jazz jam and start singing, I would probably tell the band uh, to to play whatever tune we're work wherever we're doing. Like probably E flat E or F. Okay. That's that's where my voice sits right now. Um, some yeah, it's uh, F is the uh, sort of the high the high the high not the highest. I mean I can I can sing other keys, but that's really where my comfort zone is. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was younger, um, I would do a lot of songs in G, mm-hmm. just because that's kind of the the first one of the first chords you ever learn on the acoustic guitar. Oh, and it's but, one of the best sounding chords too. It is. It's very full. Um, and then also there was a lot, there are a lot of songs that I would, I would used to, I used to capo, uh, maybe on like the, the second fret and play a D D chord, which was an E. And now I don't use a capo at all. I just play it straight. Sure. Like play it in the key of D, uh, just cause it's, my voice is deepened a little bit. Now, what is your guitar collection like these days? Uh, I have three. Uh, I have the Godin uh, that I mentioned, the Archtop, I, uh, Fifth Avenue Jazz. I have a, a Collings D, D2H mm-hmm. uh, that I got about 20 years ago, uh, and it's it's like butter. I mean, the wood is nice and soft now, and it's uh, yeah, it's a it's just a lovely guitar, and that's the one that I actually detuned down to the C sharp. So not only do I have that those big, thick, rich strings. Uh, I've just got this fine piece of wood and just, it's a, you know, it's a beautiful guitar. Um, so that's the one that I, I do the C sharp, uh, tuning to. And then the, the guitar that's actually the one that if I was just going to go 
you know, go on a trip and, and take my regular acoustic guitar with me. It's an Eastman. It's an Eastman Double O, and it's just a tiny, tiny body guitar that's really good for finger picking. And I've got, um, I think I've just got, I think I've got light strings on that one. You know, I've got twelves on that. So, um, I think there's twelve. Yeah, twelves are, are light. Um, so I, I use that one, and I, I really, I really like that one too. It's got, um, it's got the slotted headstock that kind of looks like a nylon string guitar, but it's not. Um, and then um, on the Collings, the one I mentioned before, I've got a piezo pickup on it, which I don't love, but at the time that was kind of, uh, you know, 20 years ago, that's what everybody was doing. Um, it sounds a little bit, um, mm, a little bit thin sometimes. Mm-hmm. But with the with the lower C sharp tuning, it actually sounds a lot better, and then and it's an active pickup with a battery. And then the the Eastman, uh, the little tiny one, I uh, I have some passive K and K contact pickups in there, which are good. Um, and but sometimes they're they're very bassy, like there's a lot of bass that comes out of them. And I think later you said you you might play my song. Uh, you got to breathe. Yes. Uh, I have this song. Uh, I, I did that song on the Eastman with the with the passive K and K pickups, and you can really hear just the the bass in a, a not the bass notes necessarily, but just like there's sort of a bassy ambiance to that guitar sound that you'll hear. And so I kind of like that, but uh, I might I might replace those passive K and Ks at some point with something different. Well, since we're speaking of of you got to breathe and the um played on the eastman and you do a youtube version of that i assume from your living room yes of, um and and i noticed you were playing the eastman and um but since we're chatting about it and i was going to finish the show with that song but i also want to play waves which is the title cut from the most recent cd why don't we listen to you gotta breathe because I, after we listen to it, and it's what, four minutes, 40 seconds or something like that, and we'll listen to the entirety of it because it's such a wonderful song. We'll chat about the guitar playing that you do for the song. Is that fair? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to breathe. The baby is crying. The bills are piling. The bank is calling on its loan. Your marriage is frozen. Your boss has just chosen to chew you out on the phone Your life is a mess And on top of that stress Your income taxes are due I've been there, my friend And in the end, there's just one thing left to do You gotta breathe As if your life depended on it Air is free, you'll be spending nothing on it Then release all the things that don't belong inside you You gotta breathe Well, your identity has been stolen Your prostate is swollen Your dog just killed your neighbor's cat The cops pulled you over after drinking vodka sodas How you supposed to get out of that? You run out of steam and your old self-esteem is knocked down a couple of rungs. But before you start climbing, I think it's good timing to fill up both of your lungs. You gotta breathe as if your life depended on it. 
breathing deep, you'll be spending nothing on it. Then release all the things that don't belong inside you. You gotta breathe. theme song for anyone over the age of 50. <laughs> now, is that autobiographical a little bit? Is there, uh, a little... there, are, some, there are some pieces of that, yes. Yeah. Uh, not all of them. Not all of them. I'll leave it up to everyone else to guess which ones are and which ones aren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I've heard that song numerous times because I, I, I loved it when you performed it at Brewer's Alley, and I've listened to it over since I the um, got received your CD and I just love it. I've probably listened to it two dozen times. And oh, thank you. every time I listen to it, a line will come out and go, that's me. <laughs> so that, that is a wonderful thing when at least, and it's only happened probably a half a dozen times in the last 40 years for me, where someone comes up, I sing a, an original song that I wrote for a purpose 
and someone comes up and says, that song's about me. <laughs> Do you find yeah. that happens sometimes? Sure. Yeah, there, there are sometimes uh, I'll write a song and somebody will really say that they connect with it. Or if it's a funny song and I'm playing it live, I can really tell that somebody's just dialed into what I'm saying and, and tuning out the rest of the room and really listening. That's uh, that's really satisfying, too. When 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 people really listen, um, I, I have some I have some songs where. There's there's different levels of it. So like that song, it's got a nice little groove. It's got, it it's got a little walk, walking bass line on it, and uh, nice, you know, it's, it swings. And so the casual listener will get something out of it just fine. Um, there will be somebody who kind of picks up on the title and says, "Oh, I, you got to breathe as if your life depended on it." Ha ha ha, that's funny. And then they'll just kind of keep talking and having their conversation in the room. But then there are those people that really listen to the wordplay and and the imagery. And for those people, those are the people I'm really writing for. Those are the people it really, I think I think it pays off. There's a there's a payoff for actually listening closely to the song. And, and so that's most satisfying for me when somebody connects in a way where they're really listening and, and they're enjoying it for whatever reason. And I, I think that there's, there's some, there's a, I read, I have a, a book that's, it's a, bunch of interviews with songwriters and they're interviewing Paul Simon and he's, he makes a great point. And he says that, you know, the audience is going to bring their life to the song when they're listening to it. And so a lot of times what you, what you really, what he does so well, what Paul Simon does so well is he writes in a way where he doesn't, he's not like, he's, he doesn't write anything that's completely well-defined. He'll put out these images and it's up to the audience to uh, to bring their life to it, and then the audience, each person, connects the dots of of what uh, what the singer is singing. So anyway, I, I think that there is definitely a connection between uh, putting the song out there halfway and letting the audience come and bring bring their life and their ears and meet somewhere in the middle. Well, and I think that that's when people will say his or her music touches me. Yes. And just for that reason, because it is somewhat undefined. Although when you listen to it on the surface, it, it seems very defined, but it's not. They, And like your title, You Gotta Breathe, what the song does is it breathes just like in an advertisement that has white space. It allows you to fill in the blank. Yeah, that's nice. That's Thank you for saying that. I I, I think that it's a... Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a fun song and and just uh, that recording. I just love. Uh, there's a guy, the clarinet player is a guy named Tim Loeffler uh, from New Orleans who plays mostly like traditional jazz, um, what some people might call Dixieland jazz. But he came in. The producer knew him. He called him. We d we needed something on that song. He said, "Let me call in Tim." And so Tim just drove over from his house. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about New Orleans is you just have all these musicians that just live there. And, you know, they're not doing anything at one o'clock in the afternoon on a on a Thursday. So call them up and put them on the record. And so um, and so Tim, Tim's part in that is just great. Um, and then again, that, that's the key of F. We talked about keys before. And uh, F is a good clarinet key. And so it just came out real nice. And then um, and then the percussionist is, is a buddy of mine, uh, Marcello Bonetti. 
who's uh, originally from Italy, but uh, now resides in New Orleans and wonderful percussionist, more of an improvisational uh, musician more than anything, where he's just completely in the moment kind of guy. Um, but he came in and, and, and we, we cut that track and it's, uh, it came out really nice. Well, what I mentioned before we played the track was your guitar part on that with the walking bass line. Mm-hmm. How difficult was that, one, to come up with it, and two, to be able to sing over it? Because you do play it live. Yes, it is. Um, it can be tricky. Um, it's it's a lot easier to play if I'm not distracted. Like, I've, I've tried playing that, let's say, if I tried playing that, like, in a noisy bar where I couldn't really hear myself, mm-hmm. I would probably mess it up completely. Um, but if I'm in a room, like a studio, sound studio, where it's quiet, or if I'm at home, or if I'm at a, a venue like um, where you heard me play, where the audience is very respectful and and quiet, it's it's it it's not easy to play, but it's it's it gets easier the more I do it. And it's really just um, you know a lot of times in popular jazz, what what may, vocal jazz, what people might call the Great American Songbook, a lot of those chord progressions are are very similar. You know, you have something called a um, like a one six two five or something like that, uh, or you have uh, some chord progressions that just mathematically and sonically just just fit real nicely with with any sort of melody. So I uh, I I basically started I learned that song I, I wrote that song probably without the walking part. Uh, I just you know I wrote it kind of um, just strumming the chords out and, and filling in the rest of the melody. But at the same time, I, I had been learning, I had been teaching myself how to walk a bass on a on those types of chords, and uh, and a lot of times it it had it had something to do with what I mentioned before about wanting to add more musically to the live shows. Uh, I found that that um, that walking bass adds a real nice rhythm and, and uh, dynamic to uh, to songs that maybe just if you were just strumming you know quarter notes uh, may not have the same the same lift, the same swing. Um, and so that walking bass technique is, it's easier than you think. I mean, it's, it's not easy, but it's, uh, theoretically, it's really just, uh, if you've got a major chord, you can, um, you can approach it from a chromatic note above chromatic note below or fifth, um, you know, the fifth above it. Or, uh, if it's a minor chord, you can approach it from, um, a, uh, a half step below or a whole step above or the fifth. So you just, wherever your hand happens to be, you know, you've got to get to that next chord. Uh, and in between you just hit one of those three notes and, and that particular song, it's a, it's a part that I've memorized. I mean, it's not like something I can, I can easily improvise with, although I'm getting better at that too. Now, what is your preferred venue type of venue to perform live if you had the choice and you could pick them always what is it uh if i were playing uh my own original songs uh the venue that i prefer the most is like a house concert Mm -hmm. um, where the people are there uh and and there's a community feel and everybody's quiet listening um, it, it has a similar feel as a coffee shop, but there's no like loud espresso machine in the background or mm-hmm. like whipping, whipping up the milk in the back. Um, 
you know, I've, I've done a lot of those where you're your most like delicate, sensitive song. And all of a sudden in the background here, <laughs> right in the middle of the best part yep. of the song. So yeah, that's, that's sort of venue. Um, uh, I think that, um, so as far as, um, like a listening room or house concert for my original songs where people are really into the lyrics and they're listening. If I'm, if I'm just out playing uh, jazz standards or if I'm doing mixing my originals with jazz standards and I have another person that I'm just playing with, I love playing uh, white tablecloth, small restaurants yeah. where there's candlelight on the table and people aren't there to see me really, but I am playing underneath the conversation uh, where there's maybe some delicious food. There are couples that are on dates that aren't on their phones. You know, there's not a lot of screaming kids. It's, it's just like, you know, and the food smells good and, the, and a lot of attention was put into the decor of the restaurant. And I'm doing for their ears what the restaurant's doing for their, their taste buds yeah. and their eyes. And I, I really, really love that type of gig. Um, it's just, it's such a joy to me to, to be a part of the whole sensory uh pleasure of uh, providing like i said providing that for their ears yeah i i refer to that style of playing and i do enjoy that as well um i haven't had as many opportunities because i'm playing solo most of the time yeah but i'm pretty mellow in my delivery and i call it musical wallpaper you're there but you're not in <laughs> front of anybody you're, that's right you know and it's just it should be a pleasurable background sound to the people who are or dining and chatting but I go yeah. back, going back to that walking bass line, did that make it, when you were recording that, did that, the fact that you were doing the walking bass line, did that cause problems with your bass player? There was no bass player. Okay, so you were the bass player. I, there's only one chordal instrument. I mean, yeah, only one chordal instrument on that guitar. It's one, there's one guitar track, there's the drum mics, and then there's the clarinet, and then there's my voice. So Because you fill it in so nicely, you can almost listening to it go oh that's a bass player there yeah no just me just me very cool uh yeah yeah i uh i really do enjoy that I, I enjoy being able to do that and the goal the goal ultimately is to be able to do a moving bass line and then uh play a little little bit of melody on top you know one of the things i've learned about guitar uh in the past let's say two or three years and i probably was taught it at some point but i didn't really stick is that especially in jazz and, and blues, if you focus on strings three and four, the middle two strings, when you're forming your chords, that's the mat that's the kind of the magic of the guitar. Because the really if you can if you can not find the third and the seventh of any chord on the third string and the fourth string, you find the third and the seventh, you can add all kinds of bass movement to it with your you know, with the strings six and five. And then you can play little melody lines with um, strings uh, one and two and three. So, um, so like on that song, <clears throat> most of the, the core of the, the, um, the bass line are done on strings f five and six. But the meat of the chords where I'm playing the little syncopated upstrokes with the bass line, that, that's most of the time strings three and four. And so, um, but the next goal for me is to be able to walk the bass line, play, in the, play the chords out in the middle, and then play little melody lines along with it that's that would be i would be so happy if i could master that but you, I'm, you would be a bona fide finger style guitarist at that, at that point i think i would be <laughs> you know the, the, i'm amazed when I, I see these these people 
and I see them perform the song that I've listened to on CD or album, thinking there's two or three guitarists and it's one person. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of there are a lot of great players like that. Um, who's the guy? Tommy Emanuel. Yeah, he is. Um, he's he's one of the better ones. Also, um, extremely fast player. Yeah. Yeah, Martin Taylor, I think that's the guy's name. He's yep. <clears throat> he's good. David Wilcox, if you if you like capos and and alternate tunings <clears throat> and really good songwriting, uh, any of y'all have ever heard a guy named David Wilcox? He was one of my early folk music heroes. Um, but he's some of his fingerstyle stuff is just just beautiful. Just the, the open tunings where you're not sure if it's a major chord or a minor chord because there's just a lot of sus, um, a lot of fourths and not so many thirds. Um, that's it's his stuff is really beautiful too. And his song "Hurricane," which, in my humble opinion, I know it was d- during his earlier career, mm-hmm. is is probably one of my favorites of his. It just has a wonderful oh, yeah. feel to it. Yeah, it's all about the motorcycle called the hurricane. Yeah, yeah. Now the I notice in your on your website, and again, it's BirkenGrafia dot com. You mm-hmm. sell T shirts with two different logos. One is Pegasus. And yeah. one is the Pelican. And what's the story behind both? Well, the um, the Pegasus, so it, it's one, it's not just Pegasus, it's Pegasus pulling a plow, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, it's it's an image, uh, there's, a, there's an author, early 20th century British author that I really love named G.K. Chesterton, who's a, um, just a really funny humorist, um, a bit of a theologian, but... Um, but just um, just has wonderful imagery, and he was talking about how we we as humans were these animals that were meant to fly, and yet we have to go to work every day. You know, not not fly. We weren't meant to fly, but we were meant to soar metaphorically, and and yet we have to go to work every day. And he said it's kind of like Pegasus pulling the plow, and I, that image are always really stuck with me. I um I just think that it's it sums up a lot of people's lives. They, they want to soar, they want to fly, but they've got to go to work. Um, so that's, that's where that came from. And then um, the, the pelican, well, the pelican is sim- symbolic of a lot of different things. Um, the pelican is the state bird of Louisiana. Um, and it also is a, um, it's also a medieval image for, for Christ, as, as, because the pelican apparently... If it needs to feed its children, it will self-sacrifice. It will poke into its side, and it will um, it will basically take its own blood out of its side with its beak and feed it to its children. And so it's a it's an image of both Louisiana and just this um, sacrificial love. And so I just I think that it's a it's a neat image. Well, you found wherever you found the image that you use for your T-shirts, it's a wonderful pelican image. I mean, oh, it almost looks like a black and white photo, but it, it could be a graphic design or a piece of artwork of a pelican. But it, it really, really stands out. It's wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I did that. I actually did. I bought a photograph on Shutterstock, like a stock photo. Mm-hmm. But I bought I bought the extended license, like the expensive license where you can reproduce it um, if you want and so and sell it. And so I, um, I did that. And then I um, have some good computer skills, some good Photoshop skills. So I put it into Photoshop and I basically turned it into a line drawing out of the, the photograph. And, and then I use that at the printer. It's, it's very striking. It really is. Thank you. 
Well, for all of you listening, they're all available on my. <laughs> I have lots of them in my closet since. <laughs> I mean, not Katrina since the uh, pandemic started. So, uh, yeah, and CDs too, CDs and T-shirts. Now the um, and not wanting to get away from that because you know <laughs> hopefully you can sell some CDs and sell some some you know merchandise uh, directly from this podcast. And this podcast goes out all over the world, um, which is oh, amazing good. to me. It's not every week that people from different countries listen, but sometimes I'll go into the, you know, the details of it and it'll say two people from Russia, one from Taiwan, one from Italy, and one from South Africa. And I'm thinking, how do they get there? <laughs> so it's, it's global. But the question I have for you, because we're starting to, to wind down time-wise, okay. is what is your musical journey like? When did you start and did you start your music or love of music from family members, or how did it all start? Well, there was music in my family growing up. Uh, as as kids, we were all um, required to take piano lessons for at least a year. Unfortunately, I quit. I wish I hadn't. I wish I had kept up with that because piano is a wonderful instrument that I'm not very good at, but I, I wish I had. So my, my father was actually um, – my father – played uh in the marching band in high school and he was in um rotc at lsu uh when he was in college in the 50s and he um he played the baritone horn in the marching band and so he used to love um Sousa marches and he loved opera and so we, we had music around the house and you know he they my parents were big you know they used to listen to like you know like light hits you know like ann murray and johnny mathis and that kind of stuff uh, in the car. And so, uh, so, and then growing up in, in the city of New Orleans, there was music all around. I mean, jazz was kind of dying out a little bit in the seventies, but you still had the beginning of the New Orleans jazz and heritage festival. You had that stride piano, professor long hair, boogie woogie kind of, um, sound, um, on top of the traditional jazz. So I had that growing up, but then in high school, I started playing acoustic guitar. And like I said, I, I got into things like, uh, James Taylor, and Jim Croce, and that kind of stuff. And, um, and then later, uh, got into, got into jazz and, um, and then kind of gone through period, dry, big dry periods. I've gone through periods of trying to write stuff that's a little more commercial, uh, and that never works. Um, I just, I don't, it's just my heart's not there. And so, um, and now, uh, I, I just, um, I know that I, you know, probably, uh, you know, when you're younger, you think you're going to be like the next Jimi Hendrix or the next greatest, you know, Eric Clapton or star or something like that. And, and now I, you know, I'm, I'm just completely comfortable with my life and, and where I am musically. And I'm just going to keep exploring that and growing with that. And, keep playing playing out gigs small gigs and um and i do have a day job so it's not my primary uh, form of income which frees me up to to make it um play time instead of work time which is which is a, a a great thing um it makes it so there's not a lot of stress on paying the bills with my music um and so um so yeah i just want to i'm at a point where i just want to continue to um to keep getting better and maybe one day i'll i'll go into retirement which won't really be retirement it'll just be me um playing gigs as much as i can in nice places now where, what type of work do you do what's your day job i'm a uh, i'm a computer programmer and i'm um 
I work uh, I work for a company in the D.C. area that's in finance. Okay. And so I I work on their website and some of their video projects. Well, this has been wonderful. I hope you've enjoyed chatting with me as much as I've enjoyed chatting with you. Well, thanks, Todd. And I like to think that it's not just you and I chatting, but it's the people listening. They're part of the conversation. They just happen to be the silent partner in, in the conversation. <laughs> yes. And my hope is that people, because I'm based out of Frederick, Maryland, you're out of the Alexandria, I think, area of uh, That's right. Virginia. The is you will be performing once I set the schedule up and find some good dates at the um, a new concert series that I'm putting together here in Frederick. And it's going to be kind of behind the Frederick Coffee Company. And it's going to be called the Sunday Brunch Concert Series. And it's a yeah, two hour from yeah, 10 in the morning until noontime. And my, it's a wonderful little, and I will send you a photo of the um, the staging area. It's this wonderful little natural, it's the rear of a building and it's got a little brick stage and there's trees and it's like, it's a natural amphitheater. The ground kind of rises up in front of the stage and we put cha- uh, chairs out and people can sit on the grass if they want. And it is just wonderful. My goal is to pick up the people walking by to get their coffee or their late night or late morning breakfast or their brunch, whichever way you kind of want to call it lunch. And yeah. thank gosh, that's good music and sit for a while. And um, I'm so glad that you contacted me and you want to be a, a part of that because I look forward to hearing you. Yeah, I would love to. And that, that little town, I mean, it's a, it's a gem. I mean, it's for, for this area. I mean, it just, it's, there's a certain warmth there and, um, and friendliness there that I, I really appreciate. Well, and maybe once venues begin opening up, when I say venues, indoor venues, maybe there's a, yeah. a chance we can get you back up here for an indoor venue at some point in time. There are a couple of nice restaurants that used to have music. Um, we're not sure what's going to happen. Of course, the business models have changed over the last year and a half. So we'll have to wait That's and right. see. But thank That's you again. Right. Um Todd, thank you so much. It's been such a, a pleasure, and thank you for thinking of me for this. Um, I know you've had some really excellent people on, and, and to be included in this is is, is an honor, and, uh, and I'm really thankful for your time. Well, I think people who don't know of your music will be interested in learning about it, because I think you're going to gain a lot of new fans. You have a wonderful sound, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's perfect for, like my wife and I, when we have dinner, we always put acoustic music on, it, kind of a yeah. low volume in the background. And very few times we'll have it where there's vocals. It's usually just music, you know, instrumentals. But your sound is perfect for that. Just oh, like well, we were chatting so about with the restaurant, with the white tablecloths and so forth. You make yeah. good musical wallpaper, Burke and Graffia. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if musicalwallpaper.com is available. I'll, I'll start the website. Yeah, well, you know, do that, and I'll be one of your people that points in that direction. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. All right, well, listen, you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, and uh, this will not air. Let's see, i got to remember when this will air. Was this? It might be this Wednesday for you and I. People don't know when we're taping it, actually, but I, I'll let you know. Okay, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right, have a great day. You too, Todd. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Burke and Graffia. What a wonderful guy. I loved chatting with him. Um, and he understands things musically, technically, and his ideas on writing and leaving that little bit of, like Paul Simon says, 
not being too specific in your lyrics so that the people can kind of fill in the blanks. Um, just wonderful conversation. And we're going to end the show with his song, the title song from his CD, Waves. you wonder where it went the dollars and the days you spend are handed back in change oh the mystery is not a myth you may catch a glimpse of it how and when you can't predict it slips away again it comes in waves and flow unexpected the times you brave and the ones you just let pass safe to say the wind will change direction live like it's your first day and love like it's your last Songs will come in the pitch of night I scramble for a pen to write Then it's up to me to get it right Like any other dream Surrending, bending, words appear Like leaves descending on the air Branches become cold and bare It's never ever knows it's unexpected Sometimes you cave Sometimes you're bold as brass Safe to say Wind will change direction Live like it's your first day And love like it's your last It's as natural as can be and Love will come out of the blue Without a warning or a clue Then the rest is up to you Like any other dream It comes in waves Ebb and flow unexpected Sometimes you save your soul Sometimes you save your ass It's safe to say The wind will change direction Live like it's your first day And love like it's your last It's safe to say The wind will change direction 
Live like it's your first day and love like it's your last Live like it's your first day and love like it's your last The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd C. Walker, at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, and I hope you are, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, and podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or you may find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.